Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach and president of Dynamic Leader. Today, I have a super special guest. He's, uh, you wouldn't think that somebody who starts out with uh, the, the idea of, well, he's got ADD. Um, he had ADD. He's gone from ADD to rock climbing um, to battling sugar to becoming an expert in nutrition and holistic wellness and uh, sprinkled in with a little expertise in parenting as well. Um, Adam, welcome to One Sharp Sword. Yeah, thanks for having me, Wayne. I don't know if there is such a thing as expert parenting, uh, but we're, we're we're doing our best, that's for sure. <laughs> if you're not, if it doesn't involve duct tape or something, then then you're good. No, it's, it's parenting level three. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah, good. It's I mean, kids don't come with instruction books, do they? You know, so no, parenting does not come with the manual. So yeah, right. I appreciate that. You know, uh, yeah. yeah, my I mean, my my um, expertise is in nervous system regulation and uh, working mostly with busy parents just to really find a way to live with more peace in their relationships and more nourishment in their connections. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so nervous system regulation is a is a big area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we think about nervous system as well, it's the brain, it's all the nerves, it's what makes me anxious. It's and it's really, it's kind of all of those. It's you're, you even dive into, without being in a medical specialist, you're looking at uh, endocrinology of some sorts, like yeah. what are the foods we eat that regulate our hormones, that kind of thing too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the majority of um, my own experience comes from my childhood and what I went through in terms of my diagnosis with ADHD and lack of understanding of why I behaved the way I behaved, and also subsequently the lack of my parents providing the right support for what I was going through as a child, which most of us are going through. And so as I got older and had my rock bottom moment in my mid-20s, becoming pre-diabetic and overweight because of my impulsiveness and my addiction to sugar, um, I found access to being able to work with my own mind, the neuroplasticity of my own brain and my nervous system in a way that gave me peace from my ADHD. And that came through the form of rock climbing when I discovered rock climbing and rock climbing had taught me how to start to regulate my response to stress in a way that I never knew was possible as a child. And that kind of became this big door opener for how I got to live the next 20 years, which is what I've been doing since I discovered how to actually optimize my stress response. So let's let's talk about that because there's you said a lot of things that we may have to back up and and kind of define. Totally. Right. Totally. So um and you know, I got out of traditional psychology, my my doctorate's in clinical psych, and 
you will almost never hear me say, well, let's back up to when you were a child. Let's begin with your mother and your father. But I mean, in childhood, so here, non, non-clinical psychology, uh, for part of the interview, the question is, in childhood, you were, did, were you officially diagnosed with ADHD or did you just know that you couldn't pay attention and your parents were mad at you for that? Yeah, I mean, it started off that way. And then I got diagnosed when I was 12, 13 years old, um, medicated with Ritalin for a few years. Um, so, yeah, I'm on the borderline of when Ritalin stops working. It's interesting that I think my my mom was at wit's ends about, you know, and I don't honestly don't have much of a memory of how I was back then. All I know is um, I and like many of my clients who I manifest into my life. I work predominantly with with men and with dads who have a disconnect from growing up with a father figure who knew how to express his emotions in a healthy way. Right. So that was my experience. And so I had a lot of self-esteem, self-worth, shame, guilt, thoughts as a child that became a large part of my subconscious belief system and, and self-sabotaging thoughts that turned into impulsiveness as I got into my teens and inability to, um, I guess, maintain focus and, uh, and find something I was passionate about. And so, you know, like I think a lot of parents who don't know how to provide a space of safety for those kids and this idea of co-regulation, then what do we turn to as kids? And, you know, it's like an adults too. We turn to escaping. What do we turn to to escape? And so for me, that was sugar. I just, found myself completely uh, involved in uh, any way to get my hands on sugar. And, uh, and that just perpetuated my, my problems into my mid twenties. That's that's a tough one. You're in a place where um, it's the wounded healer who can heal. Hmm. And so you've, you know, you've grown through some experiences. Um, The emotionally absent father leaves you wanting. Um, and I think it's an amazing thing that you're able to step in and go, this is how you be present, <laughs> men, especially, this, you know, any parent, but, uh, you know, especially as you're working with men, this is how you're emotionally present. This is how you can do it. Um, the idea of seeking, do you think you would have gone to other drugs had they been as readily available as sugar? Or do you think like sugar was the thing that was just filling you up? I mean, as we know, it's uh, sugar and the screens, the two things that are not illegal for kids to have access to, but yet act very much in terms of the dopamine effect. Um, Would I have turned to anything else back then? I had no control over my impulsiveness for those because I was just constantly escaping and trying to feel some resemblance of... uh, of happiness. And so, yeah, it was definitely quite possible. I mean, uh, as I got older, um, sugar was so prevalent in my, um, my reactive behavior. I never did turn to alcohol or illicit drugs, um, which I got very fortunate because in my twenties, I was still, you know, patterned in the same way of thinking my 70 thoughts, 70,000 thoughts a day on average, were really about my past and the depression and my need for my future to somehow become different, which left no space for presence to be where I could cultivate a deeper relationship with myself and also with what was possible in my life. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it, it it absolutely starts with yourself. And if you're if you're bouncing everywhere externally to get that, yeah, to get fed, uh, literally, and to to light up dopamine among others, yeah, um, that's that's a tough one. Rock climbing. Um, I want to know how you found it, and yeah. and. I was going to say something about what it does. I I would prefer it actually, if you said kind of like how the focus works and what that does for your brain. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and you know, by no means do we all have to use rock climbing as a way to gain access to this, but it just so happened that that was what, what presented to me the power of my own possibilities and the ability to work with my own mental and physical health you know, the first moment I, um, so, you know, I, I just stumbled upon a, an indoor rock climbing gym. I would think I was 26 years old and I was overweight. I was with another friend of mine. We were both overweight. We both did not want to buy another gym membership because every time we did, we felt so guilty and frustrated after we'd miss a day or a week. And it's like, oh my God, my self-esteem is already so bad. So when we stumbled upon this gym and, I remember the first time I went in and got the harness on and got on the rope and, you know, started to climb up the plastic holds. And I got about 10 feet up and went into a full blown panic attack and, you know, the sweats and and the heartbeat pounding and yelling at my buddy, let me down, let me down. But there was something that happened that I felt was different from other things that I have felt before. There was this moment of, almost a sense of, wow, I just did something that pushed me into a very uncomfortable place and I'm still alive. There's, I want to interrupt you because there's yeah. some key points here. This is, this is so good. Um, you've got to push into the uncomfortable place. Yeah. Right. That for any change to happen and for you to get to the place of, I was having a panic attack and then I realized it's like that's huge because sometimes we experience fear because it's unknown. Yeah. And what we're experiencing is this is unknown. It doesn't mean it's unsafe. And the psychological safety actually is there. You in rock climbing, and it, it could be anything, it could be dancing, it could be um, learning to play guitar, it could be anything where you are focused you took control. And I think for you, that was something that was not a familiar feeling. <laughs> like totally. there's nothing like, like you're the one that, that, that put one hand up and pulled yourself up. You're the one that put your foot on the next ledge and, and moved yourself up even just 10 feet. Yeah. You were in control. And, and at first, at, at first it was very chaotic because I didn't understand I didn't understand the biological mechanism of the experience. I just knew that there was a feeling I had about myself where I, where I had a glimpse of feeling proud. It was like, Oh my God, that's, that's the feeling I like. Wow. Thank you for, for bringing this into my life. Now all I'm going to do is climb because it's the only thing that I knew that made me feel that way. And, you know, I, I quit my job. I moved out to a small town in British Columbia called golden where I spent four years and all I did was rock climb because it was the only thing that I knew that would make me feel somewhat powerful and, and presented me with these beautiful possibilities of continuing to push through 
my mind's limiting thoughts, which were so heavy at the time and just so depleting. And so I just wanted to keep learning. How can I keep pushing through this discomfort in a way where I kept elevating my ability to live in my possibility? And once I understood the biological mechanism of that, that's when I realized, wait a minute, I think there's something here that I could be teaching now. And I created a corporate wellness company in 2006 and started to do training. I started to teach what I was learning and discovered about how to manage my own stress response to organizations, mostly out of the Vancouver, Canada area, and realized pretty quick there's a healthy appetite for utilization of tools that actually fit our busy lives. And most of us don't realize that this isn't difficult work. We just sometimes we just don't have the right uh, right structure and approach around it. We're not. We don't think that we have access to it. We think it requires um, going to a gym, putting on the harness. It's like it's right there. Yeah, it's right there. Like for those working at a desk, it's right there. And um, you'll be able to talk about that. Um, Tell me about your corporate wellness program. Like, yeah, well, and I so I I spent from 06 till probably uh, 2016 um, doing a lot of that work. I was working a lot with the Canadian Mental Health Association. I was Great. certified as a psychological health and safety advisor. I moved away from that in oh in um, 2016-17 just because I I was just tired of the convincing game. I would have like beautiful decision makers say, yeah, this is beautiful. Let's do this. We want to, we want to support our, because there was a big rise in 2010. There was this massive rise from a lot of the organizations that I was working with in their uh, cost for their, their benefits. And so when we would have these, these, um, these interactions around what we can do next for their, uh, their employee base, they asked me, well, what do you what do you think is going on here? Because we've seen a massive rise in the use of, of pharmaceutical medication prescriptions, mm-hmm. predominantly around anxiety medications and uh, depressive medication. And it was very obvious for me where that was coming from at the time, because this is right at the advent of what now most of us recognize as a um, something that we need to be more cautious of was the rise of the smartphone. Mm-hmm. So a lot of organizations at the time, you know, when I, when I was sharing to them the dynamics of what social media and the smartphones are actually doing to your nervous system, a lot of them said, you know what, we really do understand and we appreciate it, but we don't want to go there. And so at that point, I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to just shift out and I'm going to shift and just work with the busy parents because at the time that's what I was becoming. Sure. And I realized, wow, I love the dynamics of parenthood and knowing how stressful that is. And I'm just going to focus on parents that truly want to embrace this work and not have to try and convince a whole whole company and organization to buy in on the importance of this work. It's it's an interesting thing because it's um it's like it's inconvenient to tell people not to use technology. Like you can you and now it's it's common. We say it. We don't do it, yeah. but we say, oh, we should put our phones down. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like we need to give anything up. We're not looking to go live in a cave and, uh, you know, avoid everything. But we just need to know that most of what our environment is around us 
impacts how our nervous system and brain interact with one another. Exactly. And so if we know that, then we can learn how to mitigate some of that. And at the same time, learn tools to self-regulate. It just keeps putting you in a place where you actually have your health, your mental focus, your clarity, your motivation, your physical strength and recovery and rest and all the beauty that comes with our own regulation in a way where you have the choice. And I never knew I had that choice and, and climbing opened the doorway to realize, wow, I'm not knocking the medical system, but nobody once ever told me mm. when I was growing up with ADHD and my parents were, you know, had no idea what to do with me. Nobody ever once said, teach yourself how to regulate your own nervous system through these very specific practices. And you'll start to see relief from that. It, it never came up in, as part of a possibility for me. I mean, it's, uh, it was being talked about, but it wasn't being talked about. Right. Yeah. And now you're, well, you're leading the the campaign really. I mean, you're, you're one of a very few there, there are a few loud voices out there about this, but yeah, you know, so, well, and I appreciate that. You know, I think what a big part of that is, especially for us kids that are diagnosed with ADHD as, as an example of maybe that impulsive behavior we don't have parents who know how to regulate their own response to their lives. Uh, yeah. So they can't co-regulate our emotional experiences as we're kids. And so we're left to fend for ourselves emotionally. And we know that that becomes a very painful place for us kids because the brain likes to feed off of our reactivity because of the dopamine effect and the, the uh, adrenaline effect. And so if we don't have a parent that can hold a safe place for us, through their nervous system for us to integrate our own emotions, we become an adult stuck in a child's brain without the ability to regulate and move into these uncomfortable places in a way where we have strength to do that and resilience to do that. This is huge. And some of the, some of the language you're using, I want to, I really want to underscore um, co-regulation means co-regulation for a child means that you are creating a safe environment as the adult that the child can be expressive but also has boundaries with you and i think that that's that's huge you're going to explain that um please and then yeah. you know if you've got if you've got like a handful of tips, you know, start now. This is how you regulate yourself. This is how yeah. you uh, can give that gift to your kids. Like, let's go there. Yeah. Well, and and the co-regulation piece, again, it, it just kind of fell into my experience because I found myself in a position where my commitment to my own regulation, and this isn't about and I'm not knocking meditation or a great yoga practice, but it's not, it's not about that. It's about nourishing the relationship between your brain and your nervous system all day. Yeah. It's like blood sugar. You're not just going to regulate your blood sugar in the morning with a healthy breakfast. You have to manage the way your blood sugar is operating 24 seven. It's the same with the brain nervous system relationship. We have to know that this is happening 24 seven. And when I started to you know, map out where I was feeling very anxious and frustrated with things and put a flashlight on that a little bit. I was then able to heal my nervous system in the moments my brain was trying to get me to be reactive. Like, so for example, a classic one is, you know, 
I used to live in Toronto. Toronto's a very anxious city. I lived with road rage every single day. And this was one of the first places once I got, you know, understood from climbing that I can regulate my own response in the moments of life. I said, okay, I'm going to do the same breath practice. It's a breath practice I call heart flow. It takes 33 seconds to do. And I realized, wow, I can actually reset my own stress response right here, right now while I'm in traffic. Same with my sugar addiction. I brought it to my sugar addiction. And the moments I grabbed the cookies, I said, okay, hold on, Adam. Yes, I know you want to, my brain, I'm talking to my brain. Yes, I know you want me to just eat these and shove them in, but I'm not. I'm going to just breathe 33 seconds. It's a very specific practice, but it helps to create immediate presence in the parasympathetic nervous system, create that coherence so that you're thinking cleaner and clearer and making a smarter choice, or at least you have the choice to make a smarter choice where most of my life up to that point was just a slave to my own reactivity. Most people are slaves to their reactivity unless they are mindful of, Oh, there I go again. Or, you know, wow, this person in traffic just cut me off. And I, you know, I feel like, and it's like, just stop there. What do you, you know, you have a choice of how you feel and um, you could let it hijack you or you could have a different response versus reaction. Yeah. Um, you've talked about choice in various ways. Choice is as a human, we are given that. And it is, it is the most powerful tool that we have and if that's hijacked, if that is, uh, if there's a reactivity versus a, a response, yeah. um, we feel out of control. And yeah. so it's sort of like, oh, the cookies. Yeah, why not just one six, the the whole sleeve or the whole box or whatever. It's yeah. like, oops. And then, and then it's oops. Then it's, what did I just do? How do I undo what I just did? And um, I'll never do it again. And the promises and yeah. um, that is, there is an addictive kind of quality of self-talk that happens. Yeah. And um, how, do you want to talk about the breathing thing? It's not the alter yeah. alternative nostril thing or is it? The, yeah, no. I mean, so um, just so anybody who hears this and is interested, I, I have a free download off my website at clearimpact.io, clearimpact.io. And it's it's the five steps on how to do, and it's a training, a video training of me teaching this breath practice. But essentially, it's a four in, seven out rotation of three. Okay. Four in, seven out, four in, seven out. The key is the rhythm, keeping the rhythm very clean on the in. So through the nose on the in and on the out, it could be the mouth or the nose. Yeah. And I would know, you mean, you know, so this is based off of heart rate variability, HRV. And that's what climbing taught me. You know, I'd be in this such extreme um, position high up on a wall, hundreds of feet of exposure all over me and going into an anxiety attack. And it's like, whoa, this cannot happen because this is real. Mm. This is a real fight or flight moment that if I don't calm myself down, I am in big trouble. And I would do this process where I would close my eyes. I would put my hands on the rock. I'd put my forehead on the rock. And I still do this to the day with trees. I'll go out and I'll do this with a tree to calm myself down. But I was doing it on the rock. I closed my, and I would do this rotation of breath. And then I would open my eyes and I would have all my power back. Mm -hmm. I feel back at peace, 
feel my own recovery, feel stronger. And it was all within a minute. And that's when I realized there's something about my own biology that nobody had told me was possible. And I think other people would like to know that they can do this too. Absolutely. Yes. Is there a, on the rotation for in, and for, for those listening, it's breathing in through your nose to the count of four. Do you hold it for any period of time or do you just like, it's you breathe into the count of four and then you exhale through your mouth to the count of seven. Um, I was taught to do that while walking. Yeah. It changed my posture. It changed my, my gait. It changed my, um, it stopped me from being out of breath Yeah, when just simple walking, which depending on where you're walking and I do a good amount of walking when I'm in New York, um, but it, it just, it slowed everything down and it made it, <laughs> it's a, it's a great process. It truly is. Um, and I don't know if you notice this, but when you talk about it and when I talk about it, our voice goes to that very kind of, it's like, you're just going to breathe into the kind of, <laughs> and you're going to breathe out to the kind of seven. And it's, uh, it's kind of much more relaxed just in thinking about it. So, you know, it's funny because. I, I know in my own experience and a lot of my clients, you know, they're constantly being told the ways that they should implement things to be healthier. Obviously, we know mm-hmm. a fitness program and a diet, those all of those for from my experience have created more stress because it became something I have to find a way to fit into my busy life that now is going to get me to a result that I think I need to get. And the only way I can get there is if I commit to this. And it's like, can it be that simple that a breath practice is all we need to be able to create space for us to increase our capacity to do more? Mm. So it's like the more that I focused on heart flow, heart flow, heart flow, three times or more a day, it's less than two minutes a day. All of a sudden, me and my clients, it's and this is across the board, with a commitment to doing this three times a day, less than two minutes a day, you find yourself more and more in a consistent position of self-regulating your natural process of rest. That is something that I know I avoided forever. My brain wanted to avoid forever. And most of us are like, rest? Oh my God, no, I, that's, I'm not lazy. I'm not useless like that. I'm not going to rest. Well, it's not the rest where we're like sitting on a couch doing nothing. It's a rest where you're biologically providing a rest for your nervous system to come back to equilibrium, come back to peace, create more presence, and allow you to operate from an energy that's so much more efficient than just being a cerebral life experience. Yes. Um, there's a ton of research. Luckily, there's a ton of research that's coming out now that not, it not only supports that, it emphasizes that, that uh, you can't be on go all the time, your adrenals will burn out, you're, you will wreck yourself. And so um, interrupting your day on purpose with periods of time for rest. And um, personally, I typically recommend three to 10 minutes. You're saying 33 seconds, three times a day. <laughs> and it's like, that's awesome. And I love the question that you posed and answered. Um, could it be, could it possibly be this simple? Yeah, And I just think that that's so important. Could it possibly be this simple to give yourself the tool of self-regulation? 
you're in go, you're in go, you're in traffic, you're uh, the project that you're working on just, you know, had a glitch, all of that stuff that triggers the, um, the anxiety, the stress response, the cortisol dump, yeah. you can get back to, and this is not medical advice, um, because neither of us are physicians. Um, that said, it's anecdotal, and you can get back to, at least we have experienced that, uh, a place of great peace and self-regulation. So it's this is it's so easy to access your own breath, right? It took something though. Like it took me climbing at an extreme level for years to finally figure it out that this is what I had done. I had trained my nervous system into a place of peace, whether, you know, thinking of percentage wise, let's say 80% of my life before was stuck in a fight or flight sympathetic response. Mm. 20% I had moments of peace and I knew I felt peace once in a while, but how do I get it? How do I now all of a sudden by just focusing on this breath practice, being consistent every day with it, I healed my nervous system to a point where it was now dominant, maybe flipping the scale to 80% in this in the parasympathetic. Well, that has a feeling experience to it. And what we lack is the connection to the feeling. And so we don't even know what we're missing because we don't know what it feels like to be dominant in our calm state. And again, the calmness for a lot of us has a tinge of, well, that just makes me useless and doing nothing. No, and the calmness is where you're most powerful. And it is a competitive advantage for all of us who are in the leadership space. If you can learn to cultivate a relationship with your parasympathetic nervous system and train that as your dominant state, you become the best leader you can possibly be. And that's what most of us are missing. It's so true. Uh, you know. I have a history of martial arts, Mm. right? So, um, and the name of this show is One Sharp Sword. Uh, I carried a katana for years. And the whole idea is one sharp sword is much more effective than a thousand or 10,000 dull blades. One sharp sword. So um, in martial arts, you can't fight angry. I mean, you can, but you'll lose. Not If you, right, you, it's not efficient. It's, it's worse than not efficient. It's distracting. Yeah. If you're in a place of anger, overwhelm, stress, you're already done. You've killed yourself yeah. in that moment. Yeah. Um, right. And so in, in the martial arts, it's like, no, everything's calm. And you see it in the corporate space. I mean, the corporate space is filled with leaders who feel like they can't stop putting their foot on the pedal because they won't be as efficient and they won't get as much done. And, you know, they have their ways of doing things, but it's a very grindy way. And, and hundred percent leads to symptoms that most of the people around them don't know they're suffering from. And even themselves, they continue to distract themselves from the feeling of exhaustion, the feeling of being depleted, the feeling of emotional um, dysregulation, the feeling of, conflicting communication in their relationships and in their interaction with others, you know, their need to control their need to be right. It's, it it has some very obvious symptoms that when you're operating from that state, you know, you might, you might be fooling yourself, but you're not because you're going to be suffering from it. Well, what you've just described is burnout. Um, And, and, you know, it's, I love the term emotional dysregulation. 
um, you know, it's like, well, you know, things are going wrong in the relationship. And um, besides that, I'm too tired and um, libido's down and right. All that stuff that, that is fed by the go kind of culture. Yeah. How do we back that up? And yeah. it's as simple as it's not about competition. It's about you doing your best by being at your best. And you do that. Like the, the term rejuvenate means to make young again. It's like, mm-hmm. right. You, you do that by practices of rejuvenation and could it be this simple? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I will say, I mean, the, the heart flow breath practice and the use of that, I mean, your brain, and this is the first, like I have a, a core program that I uh, called unleash your energy and it's a three month process. And the first month it's a battle. Because that's all you're focusing on is the heart flow breath practice. But everybody recognizes the brain fights even the 33 seconds. It tells you the two dominant things it says about this. And so if anybody who does download it, you're going to notice your brain's going to say two things. Number one, it's going to say, this isn't going to work. There's no way. I got to do more. I can't just do this breath practice and I'm going to feel better. Okay, well, you need to know that it's going to fight you on it. The other one is, I don't have enough time for this. Right. So it's like, okay, this takes 33 seconds, three times a day, less than two minutes a day. So when you start to notice your own thought process around working with this kind of uh, engagement, you have to be disciplined to say to your brain, hey, brain, you're okay. You're safe. And for a lot of us, it's the first time that we've given love to our brain since we were kids. And I would call that the subconscious. Right, totally. where the brain is the the organ it's the the voices that come from your head in your head the voices that you hear that aren't yours because if they're telling you should that's someone else's voice and yeah. right if they're saying um you know <laughs> you're a loving human being that's your voice that's you loving you um the the idea of really guiding your subconscious for the first time and it's like well i don't have time i'm too busy going for the cookies it's like stop right? yeah. stop you, yeah you have time you have you're the only one one of the things that i keep pointing out to to leaders busy executives is you know you wake up and you look at your calendar who put those things on your calendar you're the only one in charge of it yeah. And where it makes it harder to say, okay, I'm going to get up, I'm going to exercise, or I'm going to take my gym clothes with me and poof, the day evaporated and I never got to the gym. Is it on your calendar? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to suggest that that our audience members, the, the listeners, the viewers, actually put 33 seconds on their calendar <laughs> three times a day. Yeah, I do use my phone for pop-up reminders. Yeah. And I have I have kind of reminders about for myself, who do I want to be? Who am I becoming? And um it's easy enough to load a reminder into my phone that says 33 seconds to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. We need reminders around this practice. So when you download, like I mentioned earlier, the yeah. heart flow practice, that's part of the training that I share is you you're you're gonna need reminders everywhere. Yeah. Use your phone, use some sticky notes, elastic band around your your wrist. The thing is, is when you notice the reminder and the reminder shows up, 
your brain is going to try to distract you from actually taking the moment to pause and do it. Yeah. And for those who are so committed to this and do it, there's a significant experience, which is what we want. We want the feeling result of this. And the feeling result is a connection to presence. And presence is where you can cultivate a different relationship with how all of your life can be experienced. But until you know presence as a place that you can operate from, and presence essentially is what we're talking about, is the place where you actually have your critical thought available. You have the focus, you have the motivation, you have the flag in the ground. This is what I stand for in my life and and my family's life. And you have the ability to engage from an emotional integration of your true power and your true self in a way that's so different from all those stuck thoughts of the past and all the stuck thoughts of the future and just subconscious patterning that denies you the ability to feel your true essence in presence. And so when you start this process, that's what you want to learn to feel because you're constantly given access to it. And what you're doing at the same time is you're strengthening the muscle of your vagus nerve in a way where you're growing more and more time to operate from there. And then you realize, wow, okay, so wait a minute. So it can be this easy, but it just mm-hmm. takes, it takes practice and training. You got to keep training, like building any muscle at the gym. You have to do, have to have repetition. Otherwise you won't, you won't have the results. It's everything takes a little practice, especially when it's new, everything's going to take practice, even 33 seconds at a time. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. You said something that struck me as funny, which is building the muscle of your vagus nerve, which it's right building the impact the power um and for those not knowing vagus nerve runs from your heart through up to your brain you uh it regulates your breathing your heart rate everything and um and your breathing affects the vagus nerve as well so so vice versa and when you have control of that you actually are able to be back in a place of presence um i'm i'm loving everything about this adam i uh i have a powerful presence masterclass that i do it's this free thing um i i didn't link or even think about putting like part of presence part of powerful presence is actually um just being super aware being it's not necessarily presence outward it's like start with being present inward as well and um 
Well, so I will I'm say, loving, yeah, I will say that the the you know, I mean, I didn't grow up understanding that. I didn't under I didn't have a feeling experience of presence within myself. I just was so stuck trying to avoid the emotional pain of my childhood, which was not the worst childhood. I just didn't have a dad who knew how to love me. So okay, but that still has a very deep impact in our emotional frequency and how the nervous system operates. When I started to engulf myself in presence through doing this training around the nervous system, I, I recognize pretty quick, there's something about how I'm feeling about myself that is lifting my spirit. And, and I will say, and I know a lot of my clients, this is what they manifest. The more that they cultivate the strength of the vagus nerve and they, they feel more connected to presence and they, they commit to the practices when they feel triggered and it's not about perfection. I still yell at my kids. I still fly off the handle when they won't put on their clothes and get out the door. But instead of seven days a week, it's maybe twice a week. And what I will say is that what I, I have manifested most is, and what I feel is the most powerful manifest manifestation has been the curiosity in other human beings. Mm. And I know, I know that that is me being in love with myself, being in a regulated state where I am now delving into what it feels like to actually be a conscious human being holding space for co-regulation of another. And I think if we understood that and we knew how to do that, at least from my experience and I know from my clients' experiences, it's the most fulfilling feeling experience we have had. And that relates to the human need element of our existence. Mm. And it comes from presence. Yes. I... Uh, it's fabulous, Adam. Seriously, this is fa fabulous. I want to repeat part of what you just said. Um, I'm taking notes. If you see me looking down as you're talking, it's because I am deep into my notepad. Um, being a conscious human being, holding space for co-regulation with another. Um, uh, you know, one of the things you said that so amazingly well, I just, I talk about um, people just want to be seen. Right. You know, can we can we acknowledge each other? Can we say, I see you before, hey, how are you? You know, and it's like, hey, yeah. how are you? And I'm off to the next thing. I see you, dear human. I see you. Yeah. And and it becomes so powerful. It's um and our words, our words reflect it. And so I'm very mindful now when I especially in the presence of other men, like I I'm <clears throat> I, I'm very curious of other men that I meet to, to, to explore their emotional experience of life, because I, I have given myself the opportunity to explore my own yes. to now know that I'm, I'm, I'm for the most part, I'm very in love with myself, like not egoically, but more of, I, I, I know how to push through my limiting thoughts in a way where I feel a consistent state of growth. And so I'm curious when I'm in, in the presence of another to feel where are you in that process? Are you like, what can I learn from you at the same time? But also I know that I'm not sharing words other than I maybe will ask a question mm -hmm. to then feel the frequency of their words. 
So I can feel where is their nervous system at by the words they're sharing. It has a frequency to it. Isn't that amazing? I would I'd like, where does that come from? But I know I feel it. So it's like that is coming from my ability to hold presence. And whatever the science of the quantum field and all that is, it's real. Most of us are just so distracted in our own heads that we don't truly hold space to, to feel another human being and provide them with a space to feel seen. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, and then so you think if you extend that, you know, so I have a process with my clients when they're ready, where they do this with their parents, if their parents are still available. And it's the most profound interactions they're having now that they know how to hold presence like this. And then they come in the curiosity with their parents. It's, it's, it's transformative emotional releases that are happening on it's, both fronts. That's an amazing process because, or as you'd say process, because uh, you're asking an adult to do that, to release a childhood experience. And it's, it, it, that's where it's super powerful adult to older adult versus, you know, adult parent to child, the child who is now an adult comes in and says, almost like, I forgive you for who you were. Um, you did the best you could. And it's, it's almost like you're holding, you're holding that space to let go of what was so that together you can create a new relationship from that moment on it it opens up possibilities for how else it can be and if you're if you kind of have a sense of how you would like it to be like i i i have work to do on this myself you know in this exploration i'm constantly finding new ways to push the uncomfortable parts of me holding space for my dad right and that has a lot to do with me being able to regulate in his presence so that he feels more and more into the space of his own suffering because in the end, yes, it might be, you know, here I am as a 50-year-old adult talking to an 80-year-old adult, but yet we're still emotionally, a lot of it's still child and child, you know, having these, these interactions with these emotions that we've kind of been stuck in for a long time. And so we're giving each other space to evolve. I think part of that work specifically is actually where you are coming to it saying, I no longer need anything from you. Yeah. Right. And that's part of the release, you know, that, that, and I think men with their fathers, especially, I, I believe this happens uh, with boys to moms and certainly, you know, girls and women with their moms and to a degree, their dads. Um, I think there's a, I think there is a difference, but I think, here, the idea is I no longer require anything from you. You gave what you could at that time. You are giving what you can at this time. I choose, I choose powerful words to show up differently with you, for you, um, and in support of you. Yeah. And actually, you shift the dynamics so that you're not requiring anything from them, but actually being in support of them. Yeah. And it's, that's huge. That's yeah. transformatively huge. So, well, and, and, and selfishly, it's the feeling that I get from holding that space that I love. So right. why, why wouldn't I 
do my best to calm my, and this, again, this is a lot of in the moment, I'll be interacting with whoever it may be. And I'm, and if there's a word they say that triggers me, it's my responsibility to notice the nervous system shift, the brain's Mm -hmm. desire to use the word that they just said to keep me looped in these thoughts. That's denying me from continuing to be in my own growth in the moment. And that's when I would verbally say, okay, Hey, listen, Joe, Steve, whoever it is, I'm just going to take a moment. I just want to, I just want to reset myself so that I can really be here again to hear you because I was triggered for a moment and I go into my heart flow and I'll reset it and then right back in. It takes something though, to, um, to know what is the dynamics of, of this possibility and to be committed to it. But once you do have the structure and the right tools, it's really uh, something. I, so I'm smiling as you're talking and um, it's powerful and it's brave Yeah, you, when you're in the moment um, with a friend, with a, a coworker, with whoever, and you feel something inside get like, that's the trigger. Um, I had somebody, I had somebody this morning trigger a, an integrity uh, thing for me. And it's mm-hmm. like, my response was, how dare you? You know who I am. Mm-hmm. How, how would you, you know, dare to cross that line and, um, and, and imply that. And, and it's like, I'm not in the place to reply right now. Because mm-hmm. that it would be ugly. And it's not who I am either. So yeah. um, let me think about what's going on for the other person that 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 he would write that and what I need to do to respond in a way that he can hear it. And it's sort of what you did in the moment with others where, and you can do this in the moment. That's what's, what's great about it is I'm going to take a second to just kind of reset because I don't think I'm in the space to, to be able to have the conversation that you want to have. So hang on just a second. And now you think in terms of parenting, Right. Again, it's not about perfection, but in the moment that I'm trying to get my kids out the door and I've got a I've got a podcast to record or whatever it is, and my nervous system loves to or my brain loves to try and feed off of that. It's like my kids know, they know when I close my eyes for a moment, they know what I'm doing. And I reset and now it changes and it what it and you know this, but for your audience what it does is it also puts us as parents in a position where our kids can't or the child's brain can't use the parent as a source of a trigger anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. So now there's a whole other dynamic of possibility of the relationship where you're no longer perceived by their brain as a source. You have more capacity to enjoy what the behavior becomes from that. So two things here. One, when you do that, you actually become more trustworthy with your kids. Absolutely. You create a boundary. That boundary is not crossable. And it's not like I'm holding the boundary. It's more like that's the boundary. Yeah. You've reached the boundary. There's, there is a limit and it becomes conversational. And, um, oh, you said something else. And it was like, definitely that. (laughs) So, yeah. And I, I, I I had it and it's just, it's gone. But yeah. um, But the dynamics of communication starts to change as we as we hold space to to honor our own self dialogue and create presence in our own self dialogue you hold space for 
all new possibilities in terms of your kids and where they are and their and also with your partner. Definitely. You know, the friction in partnerships and the reason why so many partnerships end in split is because nobody knows the dynamics of their own stress response and how the brain is using the partner as a source of a trigger. Yes. So like yeah. if, if there's not one person in the dynamic who can reset and create space for a new possibility, yeah, you're going to be emotionally, you know, there is no emotional intimacy in that. And that's what our, especially, you know, I've noticed in the work with, with men that I work with, what their partners want, female partners want, is just that presence in our own emotions so that they hear and feel as if they're being heard and and listened to in a way where we're not stuck needing to be right, needing to react, needing to control, but just be emotionally present. So it transforms relationships as well. Hugely transformative. And um, the thing that I wanted to bring back was being able to be in a place to recognize what has triggered you, that um, to recognize that the person before you is not necessarily their behavior. And to separate out that behavior might be unwanted, but the person is worthy of love. And right. And so to that is that is something that was a huge aha when I was working with parents that that was like, oh, yeah, I can I can like I can love my child and not like them for their behavior in the same moment. Yeah. It's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can be in a love space and still not like what just happened. Yeah. Absolutely true. And um, and to be in that place and to be able to step back and go, this is the safe love space. Don't don't tarnish it. Right. Yeah. Like this is this is what I'm creating for us. Totally. It's, it's that's magical. So, yeah, ah, I love that you, <laughs> everything you brought. Um, thank you, Adam. This is really yeah. great. What uh, what did I not ask you? Um, what are you hoping that I would have asked you? What uh, what else might you impart? And then part two of that is how can people find you? The what's the easiest way? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a few things. Just just for a recap, it should okay. So Mother Nature's law is abundance. It's supposed to be easy for us to tune into our natural flow state, the abundance, the fulfillment, the growth we want. It just needs the right space. The nervous system and the brain relationship needs the right space to show you what's possible. So I invite the heart flow um, breath practice to be something that um, brings you inward to feel that experience. Again, clearimpact.io is the website, clearimpact.io. You can grab a copy of the training of the breath practice. Um, and the other part of it is this isn't a solo journey. And what tends to happen in the dynamics of our minds is we become very isolated and very lonely. And so structure is important, but also community is important. And highly recommend finding a community that resonates in terms of this conversation around co-regulation. When you find somebody who you know has the power to hold space for you to explore inward to your own emotions, you kind of want to hold on to that in the most beautiful way possible because there's so some great. real power in that. That's so great. Um, that's awesome. And so we are sending people to clearimpact.io 
Uh, if people want to reach out to you directly, do they do it through that website or is there a different way of reaching? Yeah, you? or you can yeah, or email adam at clearimpact.io, adam at clearimpact.io. Feel free to shoot me an email if you um, want to do a, a breakthrough call together. I'm happy to jump on a coaching call with any of your listeners who feel like there's some value in uh, in this exploration and wanting to commit. It is a commitment in terms of the the practices and um but there's a beautiful structure and community aspect to uh, to the program. So I'm happy to chat with anybody who's interested. I think that's great. I think that having you as a resource, uh, your background, your um, your ability to to create presence and your ability to um, teach others that it's awesome. It's really right. great. Thanks for having me, Wayne. I really appreciate uh, sharing time with you. Look forward to further collaborations together. Indeed. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, truly. I'm going to say the website one more time, clearimpact.io, Adam Hart, H-A-R-T, and uh, it's adam at clearimpact.io. Pretty easy to get to. Breathing, pretty easy to do. Be conscious about it. (laughs) So... Cool. This is this is great. Again, thank you, Adam. Appreciate you being here. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach. And I've had with me as my guest, Adam Hart. Um, and uh, please reach out to him at clearimpact.io. All right. We'll see you here next time. Thanks for joining us on One Sharp Sword. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor.